0: Shahar Azani, and in the news the future of Israel's fragile coalition government as the Knesset reconvenes this week for its summer session amid terror attacks what lies ahead for Naftali Bennett's government and Israel's unorthodox coalition to enlighten us on this issue and so much more I'm absolutely thrilled to have with us all the way from Tel Aviv in Israel Carrie Keller Lynn political correspondent for the Times of Israel Carrie thank you so much for joining us
1: Shahar, thank you for having me.
0: So this is a consequential week for Israel's coalition. There are uh, votes of no confidence that are expected this week, a vote to dissolve the Knesset. Explain to us a little bit about what's going to transpire this week and what does it all mean?
1: Yeah, Shachar, I'm gonna frame that a little bit higher if that's okay. About a month ago, Israel's very fragile coalition that was sitting at it, a slim 61 to 59 seat majority completely lost it. It Now sits at parity with the coalition when the coalition's own whip, the person entrusted to hold the coalition together, her name is Adit Silman, she's from the prime minister's Amina party, quit the coalition in a very unexpected move. And ever since then, this past month, which is usually um, Sort of a time for recess, a time that members of the Knesset go on vacation has been incredibly politically tense, as everyone is watching to see what will happen with Israel's coalition. Will Naftali Benin's government survive, or will the Likud-led opposition take it down? And what we're going to see this week are two more moves led by the Likud
0: in well, its before, quest. Before to we talk dive on. into the week, let me understand what you said. So currently, after Silman uh, quit the coalition, the um, we're talking about a 60-60 um, power sharing in the Knesset, 60 coalition, 60 opposition, that means no majority.
1: It means no majority, but it's even more complicated than that because these are not, uh, these are not um, unified blocks of 60 and 60. Right now the coalition's counting 60, but it's, it's really closer to 56 because one of the coalition parties has taken a time out. We can get into that later and on the opposition it's again it's not really 60 it's more like 54 because one of the opposition parties the joint list does not sit with the rest of the right religious block so it's 60 60 but really 56 plus four and 54 plus six wow
0: amazing so talk to us about this week
1: this week um so if we're going to look at it from the opposition's point of view that 54 plus six block there is discussion that perhaps the opposition sees that it would be time to bring a law to dissolve the Knesset. Um, Taking this one step further back, this is one of the opposition's three options to topple this government. Um, Option number one, as we just mentioned, there could be a potential law to dissolve the government. Uh, Option number two would be putting forward a different government from within the current coalition. And option number three would be waiting until a point in 2023 by which the Knesset needs to pass its state budget. Otherwise, it it would dissolve itself. So we're speaking about option number one right now uncertain whether or not the opposition will actually put forward this law to dissolve the Knesset, and there are a couple of reasons why. The first mechanics of the law. It is considered a private bill and as a private bill, it needs to pass four different stages of legislation in order to be accepted as a law. The first stage is a private bill is called a preliminary reading, and that's what would happen on Wednesday preliminary reading on this type of law doesn't need 61 members of Knesset to dissolve the Knesset. It just needs a simple majority, meaning more opposition members would need to vote for the law than not. Um, The issue is if it does not pass, if the opposition does not succeed in wrangling more votes than the, than the coalition this time, it's taken off the agenda for six months. The The opposition cannot bring it back. So it's a bit of a gamble because as we mentioned earlier, Rom is currently sitting out with its four seats. Its leader, Mansour Abbas, is actually abroad on holiday at the moment. They've said they will not participate in coalition activities for this week. So the opposition thinks we might have a chance. On the other hand, if they're not 100% sure of this chance, they might lose their opportunity to use this tool for the next six months.
0: But Kerry, this is just a preliminary reading, right? This is just preliminary vote. Um, Even if it passes, what happens then?
1: If it passes the preliminary vote, um, it goes through another process by which it's prepared for its first reading, really the second, but it's called a first reading. Um, it needs to pass another vote, or it can also get the, the six-month penalty if it doesn't pass its first reading, so it needs to pass preliminary and its first reading. And then once it crosses the hurdle of, of the first reading, then you do a second and a third. And once it passes its third reading, which for a dissolution of the Knesset law requires 61-member majority, then it would become a law, and that that process can take several weeks to a month, even if it were to pass on Wednesday.
0: So at the end would be at the end of the process, the, the, this kind of resolution would require 61 votes. Yes. To pass. At the at, end. At the end. And from hearing everything that you were saying, now we all understand the meaning of this number. So we spoke about option one. Elaborate a little bit about the other options, the uh, the uh, uh, vote of no confidence or, or alternative government. How does that work?
1: Well, let's start with the least interesting, waiting until 2023 to have a state budget fail. Um, If Israel doesn't pass a budget, then the Knesset can automatically dissolve. This is a trick that we saw recently played by Prime Minister Netanyahu in order to not share power with um, alternative Prime Minister Benny Gantz, which led to elections again. Um, Israel is, or Israel's coalition led by Naftali Bennett and Foreign Minister Yair e. Lapid is currently going through the process of trying to early pass the 2023 budget and perhaps even the 2024 in order to buy itself more breathing room to take this option off the table. Because you can imagine a scenario where even if the option of elections does come up because uh, a law was passed to dissolve the Knesset or another opportunity was come, um, come forward to put forward a different government, there could be an option where the government kind of drags on um, somewhat, and, and this would be a way for Naftali Bennett to maintain his premiership um, throughout that period.
0: So, right now, the budget is passed all the way through 2022. So, you're talking about the option of the budget for 2023 or four. And in case the budget yeah. doesn't pass, the, the government automatically dissolves, it falls.
1: At at some point it would, yes, some point in 2023. And Finance Minister Avigdor Lieberman even said yesterday that on June 16th, that's the date he said, he plans to bring the state budget for its first consideration. Now let's talk about the the more interesting option. Um, The more interesting option is reshuffling different seats from within the Knesset. So what do Israeli elections determine? Israeli elections determine how many seats each party has. It kind of sets the Knesset map what they don't determine is who sits with who. That is the coalition negotiation and the person who leads that coalition negotiation is the prime minister. One option that we could have is that we have a reshuffling of seats from within the current coalition, sorry, from within the current government led by someone else potentially, most likely it won't be uh, Naftali Bennett. And without going to elections, we could have a new government presented, likely headed by the Likud or at least in participation with the Likud whereby potentially prime, former Prime Minister Netanyahu might make a comeback.
0: So that is a case of a no confidence vote?
1: So in order to do that, there are two different kinds of no confidence votes. There is the no confidence vote that is on the Knesset's agenda for Monday. It's a it's kind of used as a tool to put a, a stick in the eye of the coalition. It's, it's just kind of a slap on the wrist. It doesn't really carry weight because in Israel, the law has been changed you must have something called a constructive no confidence vote in order to change the government. And what that means is you can't just say, we vote no confidence, the government needs to dissolve. What what needs to happen is there needs to be a no confidence vote with an alternative coalition of at least 61 members of Knesset presented. And then, then what would happen were, if it were to be passed, a new government would come in place with that alternative slate of candidates.
0: And that potentially is a scenario you're describing where Likud can come over and build, you know, a constructive uh, no confidence vote in which Netanyahu is the premier with another composition of a majority, in which case there will be a new government in Israel headed by the opposition.
1: Exactly, and that's actually the the option that's been most aggressively pursued according to my sources so far. Um, There are several parties within the coalition that don't really have an interest in going to elections. And one of the chief reasons why is polls are currently showing sort of a, a stasis. If we were to go to elections, there are many chances um, that your party might do potentially worse um, or might have a similar result. And, and the balance between this right religious block that exists and the left-wing block doesn't really change in a, in a pulled out election scenario. So the idea of bringing Israel to its fifth election within three years is is not incredibly attractive to a lot of members of Knesset. But what is attractive, especially to parties on the right who currently sit in opposition, is reforming a government with this right religious bloc that could come from within the current Knesset and and save the the country the trouble. Um, One thing to also point out and why this is possible is because Israel has an ideological uh, right religious majority in the Knesset right now. What it doesn't have is a political one, and a lot of the reason why is this sort of binary yes-no on the dichotomy of the question of yes to Netanyahu, no to Netanyahu. In fact, I would say that that was the, the driving question behind formation of this incredibly eclectic eight-party far left to Arab to right-wing coalition that we see sitting today that is, is currently starting to show its cracks in a, in a more <coughs> prominent way.
0: This is Advanced Politics 101. I can tell you the fact that you're able to, you know, follow it and monitor it so closely is a huge gift for all of us. Um, You know, you mentioned the fact of forming a potentially new, uh, you know, new formation of government and and the lack of desire by some of the parties to go for elections. I cannot help but be reminded by some leaks that have come out of Haredi circles, um, talking about you know, Bibi is not the face of it all. And if he can't make another government happen, then Likud has to elect maybe another head, because in that case, there is a greater chance of having, as you say, a right-wing government established in this Knesset without having to go for elections. So for many years, this connection between the Haredi bloc and Netanyahu has been seen like something that is untouchable. Do you sense that that's still the case or these murmurs have some truth to them? And why... Why have they made such an appearance at this point in time? What is the reason for this apparent you know, friction between uh, the Haredis or at least some in the Haredi leadership and Netanyahu?
1: So the, the Haredi Likud Alliance is unassailable. It is it is watertight. What is not watertight is the Haredi Netanyahu Alliance. The Haredi parties are more specifically, um, who I was in touch with on this issue, is, is the Ashkenazi uh, Haredi party, United Torah Judaism, the one that made the statements of, of question. Um, They've said that we have an alliance with the Likud. We do not have an alliance with a specific Likud leader. However, we will not get inter- we will not interfere with internal Likud politics. And were the Likud to choose another leader, we would go with that leader. Um, if not, we're going to go with Netanyahu. And taking that the level down, um, I spoke with a couple of, of uh, UTJ, MKs and advisors, and they told me, you know,' we're, we will practically, we will go with the Likud. Um, the Likud's leader, practically, we don't see it changing. Um, however, we believe that Netanyahu, as Likud leader, needs to repair some relationships in order to enable this government to be formed. So, no, like no, we are not saying that we will form a government without the Likud. No, we are not saying that we are pushing for a regime change ourselves. If Likud chooses to do that, then we will go with that new leader. But what? needs to happen because the situation is not changing is that Netanyahu needs to find a way to play nice with other parties so that we can reform this right religious block um, and have a government led by the right, as we
0: discussed. You know, it's it's, uh, amazing to think how Israeli politics rolls because we remember so well the um, guarantee that was given by Shas leader Arya Derry to Benny Gantz in the past coalition that he personally guarantees the execution of the rotation agreement between both Gantz and Netanyahu. So the Haredis played a role. They uh, apparently failed on their ability to deliver on that promise. And now, in a way, The situation now with Netanyahu is you have to make nice with the other parties because this cannot go on forever. But talking about the Haredis, there is something very interesting that really attracted my attention Um, during the approval, the discussions to approve this budget the budget that was approved for this year, finally approved budget, there was a very interesting debate on the Knesset floor where Mansour Abbas, Ram's head, was um, um, as, as deputy speaker, was chairing the session. And the speaker was uh, Haver, a member of Knesset Gafni. And I remember from United journalism, and then when he had mentioned Um, on the floor, the plights of the Haredi communities as a result of the budget, Mansour Abbas not only allowed him twice as much time to finish his speech, 10 to 20 minutes, but also made a statement that that Ram is willing to commit part of its part of the budget in the sums of tens of millions of shekels up to 100 to assist those Haredi communities in need. He was talking about the potential of establishing a coalition, unorthodox as we mentioned, potentially between Ram and the Haredis, bearing in mind that they're both fighting for you know, their communities on social issues. Do you think that this is even possible to see such a collaboration between the Haredis and Mansour Abbas's Rahm or not at all?
1: Well, we've seen this before. We've seen um, collaborations between Arab parties and Haredi parties on very particular acute issues. Do I think that we'll see some sort of collaboration that means uh, leading to a reshuffling of of Israel's political map? No. But I think that there are a lot of areas of shared interest. One area in which we've seen this in the past um, has been the idea of um, of religious sirens. So there were bills in the past or suggestions for bills to quiet uh, the Muazin, the call to prayer in Islamic towns. Um, And the Haredim actually came out against it because they said, okay, well, the Mosin first, the Shabbat sirens next. And in Israel, there are sirens that will blast in religious towns and cities that let you know that Shabbat is coming. Um, And so there are areas in which they see their interests overlapping. um, And social support is definitely one of them.
0: Incredible. Um, you got to love Israeli politics. And we've touched uh, on Ram and Mansour Abbas. So let me ask you right out, Kerry, has this uh, experiment of including the Arabs in the coalition, has it failed? Is it a success or we're still on the fence?
1: Well, I'll quote um, Mansour Abbas himself. It, it's a process. That's <laughs> something that <laughs> that he's, he's said to me about it. Um, and, you know, the question of whether or not it's failed is actually we're hearing it on the the Hebrew speaking side of Israeli politics. It's much more a burning question on the Arabic side speaking of Israeli politics, and it really speaks this deep split within Ram itself right now. Whereas some of the party um, still supports boss, Mansour Abbas. Mansour Abbas's big political experiment. We have to we have to remind this ourselves this was pioneering. He not only took an Islamist Arab party for the first time into the coalition, he said, we are gonna put the Palestinian national agenda to the side and we're gonna focus on civil wins. Has he delivered to this point? Not so much. He has budgeted a very large amount of money, but actually on the ground results have not been seen for a number of reasons, some within his control and some without. Um, And so there's a split within Rome where some people say, yes, we need to give this more time And then there's a a dissenting faction which says, "No, we've all we've done was give. We've enabled this coalition to happen. We've suffered. um, We've suffered our. uh, You know, we've had to sacrifice our own morals for it. Whether it be the citizenship law, which uh, the Arab Street will call the family reunification law, which um, is an annually renewed uh, measure that prevents most Palestinian um, Palestinians who marry Israelis from getting Israeli permanent residency." Um, whether it be that or it be just sitting in a coalition that um, you know, while, while the riots um, and the violence, and the conflict and the disputes of our at the Temple Mount or Al-Aqsa um, over the past month. And that was actually the turning point, I would say, um, where pressures within Ram itself became too great to ignore. And Ram is the political arm of the Southern Islamic movement which has a Shura Council, which guides it. And about three weeks ago, Ram Shura Council said enough is enough. And Mansour Abbas declared a freeze or a timeout on coalition membership. And we're still trying to find our way back to integrating Ram in the coalition or not.
0: You know, we and then we go back to the vote you mentioned before of how come potentially they might have a majority because we're at the fifty-six plus four situation where Ram is still supposedly on the fence. It's also worthwhile to remember, Kerry, that it wasn't Naftali Bennett. I mean, he wasn't the first, and neither was Lapid who brought Ram in. I mean, I specifically remember the spectacle, the visual of a uh, prime minister Netanyahu appointing Mansour Abbas to chair the Knesset committee on fighting the uh, crime wave in the Arab sector in Israel, as well as his inaugural debut when the prime minister himself came to honor Mansour Abbas at that Knesset session. Do you remember that?
1: I do, and I, I would say even more than that, um, I spoke with someone from Yamina today who was like, you need to you need to remember, not that anyone could forget because it's constantly said, the person who koshered Mansour Abbas in Israeli politics was Netanyahu and his Likud party by first opening this idea of negotiating with Rom to join the coalition um, back last year when the, the last election happened.
0: I, I even go back one step further, when Benny Gans had the potential of establishing a government with the support of the Arabs and immediately the discussion was it's illegitimate, how could you do this? And then we find ourselves in this situation, which again is super, super interesting just to see in which directions this might evolve. I wanna ask you one more thing that may resonate with um, American Jewish audiences and here in the US. There has been a lot of uh, chatter about the reforms in the religious services Uh, propagated by Matan Kahana, in many ways, Naftali Bennett's uh, right-hand man. um, How do you view uh, these reforms? Uh, What kind of uh, uh, role did they play in the the, uh, stability of the coalition?
1: So when I said we have a right religious coalition earlier, um, there are a couple of different kinds of religious parties in that mix. There are two Haredi parties, and then there is a party called Religious Zionism, which is sort of the religious Zionist party. It's it's the Orthodox um, Zionist party. And there are very different ways of seeing these reforms between the Haredi parties and religious Zionism. And Yamina is a religious Zionist party at its core. Um, Matankahana's reforms were to broaden the scope of Orthodox Judaism within the Rabbanut, Israel's you know rabbinate, um, within Kosher, uh, opening up Kosher certification to include a different um, certification provider, which was another Orthodox provider. Um, All of Matan Kahana's reforms have been within the guise of Orthodox Judaism, but not within the guise of Haredi Judaism and have taken power away or would take power away from the current Haredi powers that be. Um, So they were been very unpopular with the Haredi parties, but actually are quite popular with many other Jews.
0: Right. And then at the same time, the, the, the same reforms are grounds for attacks against Kahana from the side of the Haredi parties. I remember the uh, discussion in the Knesset where Matan Kahana was speaking and was telling the Haredis, were you uh, praying in an ambush as you were fighting for uh, for Israel as part of the IDF or was I? Which is the real Kiddush Hashem? Again, Israeli politics is like the gift. That does not stop giving. I'll ask the question that everybody has in mind, and I know it's a very difficult one to answer, but personally, what are your expectations as far as the survivability of this coalition? Do you think Bennett's government will survive the summer session and go into the long, lengthier um, summer leave, or do you expect it to be toppled in the next couple of months? How do you see it, and what are, the, um, what are you hearing from the direction of the, uh, the players in the field?
1: There are so many I, There are so many factors at play. I, I'm going to disappoint you. I won't give you a prediction. But I will say that um, other people tell me that there is a good chance that it will survive the 10-week summer session. Now, saying that it's a good chance that it would survive the 10-week summer session is very different than saying the government will survive. So we'll start with that. I don't think anyone is speaking about this government having any sort of appreciable ability to live out its term. Um, factors at play, ROM is one factor at play. Another factor at play is the prime minister's own Yamina party. During the session, he lost um, Edith Silman from the coalition, and then he declared another member of his party, uh, someone named Amichai Shikli, a defector. So Amichai Shikli never sat with the coalition. He actually voted against its investiture in last June, uh, but he's now been officially removed from Yamina. Yamina has had a bleed. And the question is whether that bleed will continue or the party has succeeded in staunching it. And right now, Ayelet Sheked, who's also interior minister, uh, Nir Orbach, and Abir Kar, are the three members of Knesset that are being most watched for, for defection. They're sort of operating as a block. Um, sources within Yamina told me they're, they're currently very coordinated. Right now, Orbach is getting his demands answered. He had a few demands. One of which was approving these housing starts in the West Bank that were announced recently that the Higher Planning Commission is going to meet. Um, You might have seen in the news that US President Joe Biden reacted unfavorably to this. And Israeli diplomats, Israeli politicians have been very active in explaining the need to President Biden to approve these housing. Um, plans because otherwise the coalition might fall apart because Nir Orbach might leave and if he leaves perhaps the other two might leave with him um, but really only only he might be necessary to to end this tenuous 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 possible majority that the coalition still has so we have Yamina we have Ram um they're constantly wait, wait, wait,
0: you're You're mentioning US President Biden. So we have to also mention the fact that there is here a formidable head of opposition that is not necessarily very much favored by the American administration, i.e. Benjamin Netanyahu, hence the supposed understanding that the Israeli government is hoping to achieve with the Biden administration. But it's also worthwhile to remember that it was during then vice president's visit in Jerusalem, uh, uh, Joe Biden, that there was another Building that was announced in the course of the visit, which also caused a little bit of a skirmish with the uh, Obama administration, right, Carrie?
1: Right. I that, wait, that was about ten years ago, I believe. Yeah. Um, then the the housing um, the Interior Ministry was under one of the um, or, um, one of the Haredi parties, right. and it was incredibly embarrassing. And Obama called. Netanyahu was prime minister then and said, How could you have done this to me? And Netanyahu said, I actually didn't. It was out of my control. One it of my coalition of partners didn't do true. it. I didn't know. Right. I didn't yeah. know. And it, it was very likely, and it very likely was that case, which also speaks to kind of the, the independent nature of these coalition parties. In the US, you know, we have two, two major parties. And right. so when we say a Democrat or a Republican, there's relative consistency throughout in terms of opinions. Um, But when you have a coalition, you're handing power to leaders who don't necessarily share all of your interests. And when Prime Minister Netanyahu gives the interior ministry to someone who very much cares about West Bank settlements and announces this, but has less of a concern for diplomatic considerations and and makes this announcement thoughtlessly, intentionally unclear, when then-Vice then vice President Biden was in Israel, it causes a, a diplomatic brouhaha.
0: There we go. There we go. Carrie. I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for joining us, for your insights. Truly enlightening. I urge all of our viewers to follow your reporting and your daily briefings on the Times of Israel for these quagmiracle issues are rarely so well explained as we've heard uh, today. Really appreciate your coming on the show. And of course, let's all pray and hope for some stability in Israeli politics. Again, the gift that does not cease giving.
1: Thanks so much, Shachar.
0: And to our viewers, I'd like to thank you all for watching. Hope we all got smarter about what lies ahead for Israel's coalition government. And we are sure to follow on this issue and with Kerry, who so eloquently explained it to all of us. I'd like to wish you all stay safe, stay happy and stay healthy. I'd like to thank our director, Sloan Copeland, JBS's managing director, Dara Golub, our technical manager, Michael Paley, transmission manager, John McDevitt, and to our wonderful producer of In the News, Carol Lilienthal. For JBS... I'm Shahar Until next time, see you soon. Shalom and lehitraot.